Advent and Sunday blessings to you all. This is the Lord's Day, the day of resurrection that commences a new week and offers a new opportunity to be drawn by grace more deeply into the paschal mystery of Jesus Christ. Through the gifts of the Holy Spirit, may each of us graciously respond to Jesus' invitation to live more deeply his passion, death, and glorious resurrection and ascension, and be drawn into loving communion with God our Father. You are listening to Encountering Jesus with the Church Fathers, a podcast pondering patristic commentary and insight on the sacred scriptures, the sacred liturgy, and living as a disciple of Jesus Christ. I am your host, Father Mark, and I welcome you to this podcast on the fourth Sunday of Advent. This is also the Advent day that ponders Jesus as sacred Lord of ancient Israel, one of the O Antiphons. Guiding us this Sunday in opening the Word of God is St. Gregory of Nazianzus. He was born in the year 330 in what is now known as Nanaisi, located in southwestern Turkey. Raised in a Christian and comfortable household, Gregory had access to many educational opportunities culminating in the study of rhetoric and poetry at the University of Athens. It was here that he met St. Basil, and the two formed a lifelong friendship. In time, Basil and Gregory were prepared for priestly ordination, a reality that Gregory accepted rather reluctantly. Gregory preferred a more monastic approach to life, focusing on study and prayer. As his friend Basil was shoring up the faith in the province of Caesarea, he convinced Gregory to accept Sassima as its bishop and his younger brother to accept Nyssa as its bishop. As a result of tense situations, both from within and without the diocese, Gregory of Nazianzus returned home, only to become in a short period of time what amounted to chaplain at the chapel of the Anastasis, in Constantinople. Eventually he became the Bishop of Constantinople and was one of the leaders of the council held there in 381. While his theological writings were a great and necessary contribution to the council's Christology and Trinitarian theology, Gregory did not fare well with matters of administration. 
He was eventually deposed of both the See of Constantinople and Presidency of the Council. Probably both hurt by his treatment, yet relieved of the burdens he knew he could not handle. He retired to his family estate and spent the remainder of his life devoted to prayer, theological research, and theological writing. History would eventually bestow the titles of the theologian and the poet upon him. He penned numerous pieces on pertinent theological and pastoral questions, five of which are known as the theological orations, as they deal with Trinitarian personhood against the writings of Eunomius. Today's excerpt, sparked by the proclamation of the Gospel from Matthew, chapter 1, verses 18 to 24, is Gregory's Oration on the Son. We, after all, understand and preach the Son's Godhead on the basis of their grand and sublime language. What do we mean here? Expressions like God, Word, He who is in the beginning, who was with the beginning, who was the beginning, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and with you is the beginning, and who calls it the beginning from the generations of old. Then he is the only begotten Son, the only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. He is way, truth, life, and light. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I am the light of the world. He is wisdom and power. Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. He is the effulgence, stamp, image, and seal, who being the effulgence of his glory and the stamp of his person and image of goodness. And for him did God the Father seal. He is Lord, King, He who is, and Almighty. The Lord rained down fire from the Lord, and a scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. And who is 
and was and is to come, even the Almighty. Plainly, these and all the expressions synonymous with these refer to the Son. None of them is a later acquisition. None became attached at a later stage to the Son or to the Spirit any more than to the Father. For perfection does not result from additions. It was never the case that he was without his word, that he was not Father, that he was not true, or that he was without wisdom and power, or that he lacked life, splendor, or goodness. Count up the phrases that in your ignorance you set over against these. My God and your God. Greater. He created. He made. And he sanctified. Reckon in, if you like. Slave. Obedient. He gave. He learned. He was commanded. He was sent. He could do nothing. Speak nothing. Judge nothing. Give nothing. Will nothing of himself. You may add these. His ignorance. His subjection. His praying. His asking. His progress. And growing up. Put in, if you like, all the even lowlier expression used about him, the fact that he slept, was hungry, got tired, wept, was in agony, was subjected. Maybe you reproach him for his cross and death. I expect you will let his resurrection and ascension go free, seeing that here there is something on our side. You can pick up many more scraps beside these if you mean to go on fabricating this intruder of yours, this namesake of God. For us, he is true God and on the same level as the Father. Yes, one could easily go through each of these expressions in detail and give you the truly religious interpretation. It is not a hard task to clear away the stumbling block that the literal text of Scripture contains. That is, if your stumbling is real and not just willful malice. In sum, you must predicate the more sublime expressions of the Godhead, of the nature which transcends bodily experiences 
and the lowlier ones of the compound, of him who became, because of you was emptied, became incarnate, and, to use equally valid language, was made man. Then next, he was exalted in order that you might have done with the earth-bound carnality of your opinions and might learn to be nobler, to ascend with the Godhead and not linger on in things visible, but rise up to spiritual realities that you might know what belongs to his nature and what to God's plan of salvation. He whom presently you scorn was once transcendent over even you. He who is presently human was incomposite. He remained what he was. What he was not, he assumed. No, because is required for his existence in the beginning. For what could account for the existence of God? But later, he came into being because of something, namely your salvation, yours, who insult him and despise his Godhead for that very reason, because he took on your thick corporality. Through the medium of the mind, he had dealings with the flesh, being made that God on earth, which is man. Man and God blended. They became a single whole, the stronger side predominating, in order that I might be made God, to the same extent that he was made man. He was begotten, yet he was already begotten of a woman, and yet she was a virgin. That it was from a woman makes it human. That she was a virgin makes it divine. On earth he has no father, but in heaven no mother. All this is part of his Godhead. He was carried in the womb, but acknowledged by a prophet, as yet unborn himself, who leapt for joy at the presence of the Word, for whose sake he had been created. He was wrapped in swaddling bands, but at the resurrection he unloosed the swaddling bands of the grave. He was laid in a manger, but was extolled by angels, disclosed by a star, and adored by magi. Why do you take offense at what you see, instead of attending to its spiritual significance? He was exiled into Egypt, 
but he banished the Egyptian idols. He had no form or beauty for the Jews, but for David, he was fairer than the children of men. And on the mount, he shines forth, becoming more luminous than the sun to reveal the future mystery. St. Gregory of Nazianzus, pray for us. From today's O Antiphon, O sacred Lord of ancient Israel, who showed yourself to Moses in the burning bush, who gave him the holy law on Sinai mountain, come, stretch out your mighty hand to set us free. Let us pray. Pour forth, we beseech you, O Lord, your grace into our hearts, that we to whom the incarnation of Christ your Son was made known by the message of an angel, may by his passion and cross be brought to the glory of his resurrection, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God forever and ever. The Lord be with you. May Almighty God bless you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Go and announce the Gospel of the Lord.